As a, as a conclusion of this, uh, we also just want to highlight uh, a couple of resources. We've been talking about some of these books and resources during this mini-series. If this has sparked a further dis- discussion or wanting to get into more with it, we've got some great books uh, and resources from various pastors and leaders and just being able to dig in on these topics and, and gain um, more insight, more understanding, more knowledge in this. And today is a little bit of a different uh, approach to our time together. It's going to be a Q&A time, uh, and what we've been doing over the course of this mini-series is receiving your text questions. You've been texting in various questions and things that during these sermons have sparked in your hearts and in your minds, and so we want you to respond uh, with your thoughts. And, and so we've taken those questions and compiled it, and I'm going to welcome up uh, Tyler and April, and they are going to also uh, come be a part of this and this is more of a conversation because some of us learn when one person is just teaching and then others learn more in a conversation style. And, and that can be very helpful for some. And I, I, I think what today models is also the importance of just being in conversation on some of these subjects. So often um, we're afraid to touch and talk about these complicated topics that we've been talking about all year, money, and church, and Holy Spirit, and sexuality. And the whole idea of the Q&A session is to have time to talk and listen to each other and hear different perspectives. And so I welcomed up April and Tyler as well to be a part of this conversation. We've compiled your questions. We're going to talk about it for a few minutes, and then we're going to conclude with a time of worship and and just having a time of prayer and response and ministry time um, for those that uh, just want to Take that step towards following Jesus in all of this. So um, we've got a microphone for April here. There we go. And uh, Tyler. Yeah, just before we start with these questions, too, I want to remind you that um, we're not up here and just speaking our truth or our opinions. Um, It's important that we uh, base this on the word of God and that we we run to that foundation, uh, which is the Bible. Um, So, yeah, that is the, the core of of who we are and um, where we get our truth from. So um, first question, uh, we're going to dive right in um, as I scoot over. Uh, First question, when I accept Jesus, does that mean I no longer struggle with sexual sin? What do you think? Mm. What does the Bible think? Yeah, so I said yes to Jesus, now I'm done. Yeah, you just, boom. April, what do you think? Um, So, no, I don't think uh, we are all human. We all have desires um, for what pleases us. Uh, There might be a person out there that uh, maybe they struggle with something and God has redemptively redeemed their life and they no longer crave something or want something. Um, But I believe that in Romans 7, 14 through 15, let me read it here. It says, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I think this shows us that we know what's good. We know that God's law is correct, but there's still this desire within us to choose ourself. And it's this um, tug, this pull of the power of sin can have on us despite our love for Jesus. We want to make Jesus number one, but I think there's still um, that power and pull of sin. And I think that it's this uh, inner conflict within our life that we have to reconcile with daily. Um, I think if we have um, issues of sin with sexuality, it is something we surrender daily to God. 
Yeah, I, I think to to put a um, a thought to it is just we're a work in progress, and to think that well, I accepted Christ, so now I'm going to be perfect. That we're we're not perfect because we're on this side of eternity, and so you and I we're going to struggle with things. And for some, it's a variety of different areas of sin. But remember, as Paul's writing this to the Corinthians, he's writing to the Corinthian Christians. And he's correcting them in a variety of areas of sin and struggle uh, that he has to bring up. But he's writing not to the unchurched. He's writing to us. Which means they made mistakes along the way. They found Jesus and heard the gospel and responded to it, but they still wrestled and struggled with their brokenness. And they are a work in progress, and we are a work in progress. We are under construction. Mm -hmm. And I heard a pastor kind of talk about this in a way where you take different stages of, of life, whether it's beginning a new job or uh, getting married or having a kid. Uh, there is a day in which that starts, right? Your wedding day. I, I got married, right? But was I the perfect husband from day one, ready to go? Well, well, somebody said no. <laughs> April shakes her head. No. You're were. the only one that can answer that we question. Both. I don't we know what's happening not. out here. We were not. Together we were not. Man. <laughs> but starting on day one, I was not the epitome of husbandry. But over how many years now? 16. 16. You gotta know that answer, man. See, I'm still a work yeah. in progress. I gotta remember. <laughs> you knew that answer? Is no, that what you said? I said no. you gotta know oh, that answer. Oh, I gotta know that answer. Yeah. I thought you said you no, knew that I, answer. I was like, good be... for you, Tyler. Yeah. But over that 16 years, I've learned what it means to be a husband and, and, and working that out. I am still a husband in process. And to think, well, we got married, we had the wedding ceremony and everything, and now I'm supposed to be a perfect husband, she's supposed to be a perfect wife. Like, no, we are a work in progress, but we're learning and growing and developing in that. And I think, I think it's similar with Jesus. Like, yes, at that moment of salvation, we're forgiven. We're adopted and accepted into the family of God. We're renewed, but we are not perfect. We're under development or, or in development in that process. And so we are going to struggle. Some of us are going to struggle with sexual sin. Yeah, that's good stuff. I, I like that thought of uh, the context of um, who, who Corinthians, Corinthians is being written to is, is really important. Uh, we've been talking about that in my small group, um, and I think it pertains to this next question here of how can we support and love those who live in sexual sin while not allowing our own beliefs uh, to be compromised or feeling like we are endorsing those perspectives? Yeah, I, I read this question, and, and, and my slant or my interpretation of it is, is how do we interact with people outside of the church that see yeah. it different? Right? That's the way I, I interpret or hear that question. And what comes to mind as I, as I think about that is, is Jesus. Jesus found the perfect combination to be a people magnet for sinners, broken, uh, imperfect people wanted to be around Jesus. Like that is the paradox to me with Christ is, you know, people that we would consider dirty and the religious people considered dirty wanted to be around Jesus. And yet he also was honest with them. They knew where he stood on things. He, it wasn't like, well, does he endorse prostitution because he's hanging around prostitutes? Mm. No, he was pretty clear, you know, we shouldn't live that way. And he talked about lust and fantasy and, 
adultery of the mind and all of these things. So it was pretty clear in the way that he talked, but you look at Jesus and he found this perfect combination of what we talked about earlier in this series, grace and truth. Mm -hmm. And to me, one of the examples of that that just resonates in this series and in, in answer of this question is uh, in John, when Jesus uh, interacts with the adulterous woman who's about to be killed by the religious, right? And, and what does he do? He shows her mercy. He says, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to kill you. And he speaks truth after he shows mercy. And he says, and go and sin no more. And, and, and so there is this combination of grace and truth and the way that Jesus would interact with people. And, and so how do we live in a world that doesn't agree with us by loving them but also not endorsing them? We've got to find that, that ability to respect where people are, show them attention, show them care, understand that we're going to disagree on things, but bring life to that interaction. Not, not always correction and not always trying to conform. And, and I think what, what comes to mind for me is not turning people into projects. I think the world expects you to look at them as projects. And so in this topic, Everyone's ready to debate you and argue with you and expecting that you're going to try to fix them into your ideology and your theology and your belief in this. And I, I just see we've got to find a way to, to bring grace and truth to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's the Holy Spirit's um, job to convict people. Um, and we are a conduit of the Holy Spirit, but like you said, grace and truth is you have to have that grace. It can't just be we're throwing stones at you and, um, and expecting the Holy Spirit to move in your life. It's um, I'm going to offer grace and truth, and I'm going to hold back my stone because I know that the Holy Spirit is ultimately the one that's going to change lives, not me. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's been argued <laughs> into holiness. <Yeah>. No. <laughs> Has anyone been debated into following Jesus? Uh, maybe, but not a lot of people I know. We're, we repent out of the response to God's kindness. That's what Romans says. Mm -hmm. He shows us kindness, yeah. and it's out of that kindness that we repent. And that repentance leads us towards a response of holiness and obedience and following him. Um, and I think what would spark me to, in response to this question, too, is if you are only around people that agree with you, that's a good exercise in popping that bubble. Yeah. We got to be around people that see it differently than us, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. if you're only around people that are like-minded and carbon copies of you and your theology and your perspectives on the world, uh, go hang out at another location. <laughs> you know, go hang out at Starbucks. Go substitute teach. Go uh, become a, a volunteer at the Friendship House. Go do mm -hmm. something to get out of your bubble. We need and, subs. <laughs> yes, yeah, we do. So, yeah, yeah, you work for the district. You yeah, know. we need subs. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're, you get out of that, but go coach youth sports. Mm -hmm. Go hang out with people yeah. that are different than you and show them the love of Jesus and begin to hear where they're coming from and see where they're at. And I, speaking of subbing, I was subbing and, and around students that the way that they spoke, the way they identified, the way that they saw themselves <coughs> was contrary to what the way I see them and, and, and believe for them. And instead of, 
because I would have gotten fired. I didn't preach. <laughs> you know what? I affirmed, I, I, I affirmed that they were valued, that they're important, that they are loved. I couldn't speak, you know, mm -hmm. like, like I said, wasn't appropriate in that time and space. But I spoke to their identity as a loved child of God by giving them attention, making eye contact with a student, getting on their level. That, that to me, I yeah. think, is what Jesus did. Yeah. He, he took the marginalized and said, you're valuable. You matter. And yeah, you're a prostitute, a tax collector, a broken, sinful person, whatever it is. And he said, but you matter to me. I'm going to give you my attention. Yeah. Yeah. Something that grace and truth, I think, is crucial to this. And, and the way I kind of would break those into the grace and truth is the grace part is um, it's kind of ludicrous to expect people to act like Jesus, Jesus if they don't know Jesus. Right. Why are we expecting people who have never met Jesus to act exactly like him? That's the grace part. We, we have grace for people who don't know Jesus to not act like Jesus. But where the truth part comes in is that where we, we get to go into our spheres, our, our spheres of influence, and we get to be that mirror of Jesus. We get to show them who Jesus is. Um, and that doesn't mean that we conform to the world. It means that we are being a display, a model of who Jesus is. Absolutely. It's, it's grace of understanding, okay, they, they don't abide by this or think that this is truth, but I'm going to show them the truth of who Jesus is. And, and hopefully they will, they will meet Jesus and fall in love with him. Like, like we have. So, yeah. yeah, grace and truth is important. Yeah. Anything to add, Abel? No. All right. All right. Next question. Um, is it better to remain single after divorce uh, if I desire marriage and family in my heart? Um, Hub City Church and our four square denomination to start is not one that will exile someone for divorce. I know in um, other areas of Christianity, divorce is really a hard topic. Um, but I don't think that it's wrong for someone um, who is in a marriage and now divorced to want restoration of a family unit. Um, I speak as a child of divorce. My biological father, who I have no relationship with, abandoned my mom, abandoned us, three young children. And I do not think it was wrong for my mom to look at her future and her children's future and be like, I want restoration of a family unit. I want my kids to be pointed to Jesus. I want my family to be pointed to Jesus. And so um, as I, I look at her, there was trauma. There's stuff that she brought into a new marriage. Things have to be dealt with. I don't deny the struggle of two households being united. There is a lot of difficulty there that Jesus needs to come in and be a part of. Um, but I do believe in God's grace as two individuals who strive to follow Jesus and build a new family together. Um, another little story, I literally wrote a Christmas list to Santa when I was a little girl asking for a dad. I know Jesus knew in my heart, like, he was going to be the one provided, but I literally wrote a Christmas list to Santa saying, I want a dad. And I, when I think about that, I think of Romans 8, and I do believe that God can work things for good for those that love him. My life is better because of God's grace and looking at my family and saying, that his love for me by uniting two individuals, one who's not my biological dad, 
uh, to complete that family unit and help point me and raise me and the rest of my family and pointing us to Jesus. I think Jesus has to be at the center of that new marriage where you're restoring family and pointing everyone to Jesus. Thank you for sharing some of your story. Yeah. Um, I, I read this question or hear this question and think, whatever season you're in, just like Paul would say in the Corinthian letter, whatever season you're in, uh, maximize it to serve the Lord. And don't make the other situation the end goal for your life. So if you're single, marriage is not going to solve all your problems. And if you're married and you want out, singleness isn't going to answer all of your problems. Uh, but whatever season you're in is the season you're in. And it's one thing to desire, but it's another thing to almost idolize a future that we wish we could have to a point where now my faith becomes contingent upon it. And now my trust in the Lord becomes dependent upon it. My view of God becomes dependent upon it. If that never happens, well, then, God, you failed me. Um, that's different than desire. I, I, you know, I, I desire to own a house someday. But whether or not I live in the parsonage for the rest of my life doesn't mean that God loves me more or less. Um, your story is one where your mom got remarried. Mine did not. But you've got two godly women who raised amazing children. <laughs> They're going to like that when they watch Super the Super humble video. people. <laughs> They're going to really like that when they watch it. But you've got two godly women who just continued to serve the Lord in whatever season they were in. And they cared about their families and they cared about their, their faith. And um, it, it's... It's the season that they're in. It, it, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you for sharing. Uh, next question. How do I talk to my kids about uh, the topic of sexuality? Uh, YouTube is good. Solid. <laughs> Just Google. Put them on Google and YouTube. and Flannel boards? Yeah. That's what you guys are for, next gen, huh? That's what you're... We don't talk about that in preschool <laughs> back there. Every February. Every February. Yeah. Relationship dating series, yeah. But. Hey, I jokingly say that, but as a former youth pastor, I'll tell you, there were a lot of parents that outsourced this conversation to youth pastors and kids people, kids pastors. Yikes. Oof. Uh, don't outsource that to somebody else. Amen. The family unit is meant to be the one that is teaching and leading the family, raising up your kids, and God is going to use the church family to help supplement and additionally be a support, not to be the sole uh, provider of that information. Moms and dads, uncles and aunts, grandmas and grandpas uh, are meant to, to, to be the main teaching ground for that, and sometimes jokingly we say that, but... In reality, we outsource that to youth pastors, kids pastors, or our public education system, uh, my kids' peers. Oh, we'll just let them figure it out. I figured it out, and I turned out okay. Did I? I don't know. Maybe you should ask April if I turned out okay. But we're so uncomfortable with the conversation, we'll just let somebody else talk about it. 
But I know, April, this is something that you're very passionate about with our kids uh, in a good way, in a healthy way, I think. And, and uh, yeah, what, what are your, some of your thoughts? So I'm a firm believer in sex education because kids will learn it one way or another. And so I'm going to be on the front lines of that. Um, in, I think it's Proverbs 22, you're like, train up the child in the way that they should go. And I don't just think that's Bible memorization. I think we are training people as individuals to live in this world, and there's so much about them. And so I think as parents, we have an opportunity to train them in a variety of areas. And on the topic of sexuality, I think it is, what did I write here? It's a biological. I mean, I think there's differences between man and woman. We gotta tell our children about that. There's practical. How are babies made? Like, I think they need to learn that from you and not some kid down the street. Um, or YouTube, please. Or YouTube. Don't learn that um, one from Emotional. You. I think as parents, we have an opportunity to talk about the emotional connection of intimacy. Um, and then spiritual, that we can talk about how God views our bodies and how, when we are in relationship with others, how we use our bodies. Um, we have three children, Sean and I. I'm more comfortable talking about this than Sean, I think. He kind of walks in the room and go, oh, dear. <laughs> um, well, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> We have an 11 and 10 year old girls and then a six year old boy. <laughs> I know my main conversation's coming. Anyways, okay. But with so the girls, there's an aspect of ladyhood that is better suited for a mom. Okay, so, um, so I take every opportunity when my kids bring something up. We had this recently. One of our children kid? said, um, is there someone in my class that's gay? Um, I had an, our other kid, how are babies made? And I will jump at that opportunity, whether it's two minutes or 10 minutes. I want to be a safe place for them to ask questions, for them to not feel like anything they say is stupid, because I do not want them to be confused. I want to be the one that's on the front lines here. And so our six-year-old, he knows the word sex. He knows that it's an act that mommy and daddy made to make him. That's all that he knows. He does not know about the emotional impact of that uh, yet, uh, because we are taking safe steps into this conversation. Um, but age appropriate. Age appropriate, age appropriate steps, yes. And, uh, but I'm not gonna shy away, and when he asks where babies are made, I'm not gonna tell him that the stork brought him to my door. I'm gonna tell him, because as his mom, I want to, uh, lead safely into that. Um, we live in an incredibly broken world, and my kids, nothing's gonna seem to change that dramatically anytime soon, and I want my kids to walk into that confidently about who they are, who God created them to be, and how we may see the world differently, but how they can interact in that world. Um, the tragedy I believe in raising our children and not talking about this topic is that they will learn it one way or another from probably not a safe space. And I believe as parents, we have that responsibility. Um, for myself, growing up in purity culture, um, I got a purity ring. Um, my parents did not talk about it. There was no mention of what sex was, sexual desires, impulses, the way the culture saw things differently from us. And um, so I uh, entered into a marriage completely naive to maybe the struggles of my husband, how I see myself, what my needs and desires are, how to communicate that. Um, I assumed that I was at the whim of Sean's desire and that it was up to me to keep our marriage pure. That in the purity culture, it was you are responsible for keeping boys to not have evil thoughts and it is your responsibility to do that. And so I walked into a marriage going, it's up to me. 
I'm supposed to keep him pure, me pure, and we're walking into this thing. And I was so naive to understand any struggles we both could have in that. And so, yeah, it's pretty important to me that as parents, we are on the front lines. We are talking about this. Please don't shy away from it. Use proper terminology. I mean, these kids are going to grow up, and they look to you as a safe place. So. Yeah. That's good stuff. No, I, Thank you. It's, I think it's right on the money, and yeah. I, we lead this together, you know, and, uh, and, and we have these conversations. I, you know, jokingly, it makes it seem like I'm over here in this conversation, but I'm right there with her in, in wanting to, to do that. I just understand that there are certain conversations that it's just more comfortable for our girls to talk with mom than dad in the room. Uh, but we know what those conversations entail, and we catch each other up on those conversations. But there's teachable moments all the time, aren't there? We were walking through the store, and our kids in June were seeing rainbows everywhere and wanted to buy something with a rainbow because to them it was just like Noah's Ark, you know, that sort of thing. And, and you know what? We had a teachable moment to just say, hey, you, I, we're standing there in the store. Do you understand... No? Okay. Um, and it was awkward and uncomfortable in that moment because I, I didn't have my sermon notes ready to go for my parenting book or anything like that. And it was just like, hey, kiddo, do you understand what that sweatshirt represents? And, and this is where we gave our kid a choice, right? And some of you may disagree with this, but we explained what was going on and the significance because the way my kid looked at it is different than the way that my world looked at it. But I had to explain to my child the way that our world looked at that symbolism and help them see that. We watched Survivor as a family. Some of you may disagree with our parenting. Uh, we watched Survivor, but you know what? Survivor has contestants on there that see the world differently than we do, and, and guess what? I get a teachable moment with my kid when that stuff comes up, when they're talking about suicide and depression or trans or uh, gay and lesbians and all of these things, and wait, that's a lady kissing a lady. What, what is that all about? And we pause the show, and we have a teachable moment right there. For some of you, that might make you really uncomfortable that we even have that conversation with a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old. But you know what? April and I are just like, we'd rather have that conversation than let you go have that on recess playground time. Uh, I, I'd years. rather err on the side of entering into those conversations uh, maybe a few years early than feeling like I'm a few years late to this party. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I am catching up with my own children. And we do that with grace, too. We just explain, hey, hey, kiddo, this is the way our, the, there are people that, that see the world this way or view their attraction this way. And, and we're able to explain the way the world sees it and then, and, and then explain without saying, but we believe, and in Leviticus 17, this is what, no. But we say, man, we believe that God has created you in this way. And this is who God says you are. And this is who we believe uh, God has made me to be and your mom to be. And, and we're able to have those conversations in edifying, but age-appropriate, honest, safe spaces. So yeah. that's the heart behind what we're doing. Next question. Yes. Um, how do we encourage and support fellow Christians who are also struggling with sexual impurity and immorality? What you got? <laughs> I, I think similarly with what we were talking about with people outside the church uh, or even with children um, is creating that safe space 
for people, especially sexual sin, it becomes something we so want to hide and guard ourselves. And so how do we create safe spaces for people to be vulnerable, be honest, um, but also call sin what it is? And it's brokenness, but it's sin. And um, walk with each other, not fix each other. But let's walk with each other in that journey. Um, I think that, sorry, what was the question? How do we encourage? Yeah, so I think that it's just being open and transparent. I think that there is freedom in um, being able to say it out loud that uh, you find that it doesn't hold power over you when you share it with someone else. Um, I know that even happened to me like yesterday, something where we were young, we brought sin into our marriage, and we've dealt with that, we've worked through that um, 16 years later, but it was so refreshing to share that with someone yesterday and be like, yeah, this is what we struggled with when we were young married, and she was like, us too, and I'm like, no way, like, it is so freeing to know that you are not alone, there, there's nothing um, out there that uh, God's grace can't cover, and that there are people that can walk beside you um, in that, so... Moving on. Um, is fleeing from our sexual sin an act of weakness? Yeah, I thought about that, uh, too, in the, with this question. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of fleeing from sexual sin and how easy it would be to... We're just avoiding the problem. We're running away from the problem. And, and what we're talking about is creating safety or guardrails to protect yourself, to move forward. Uh, you know, admitting your weaknesses admitting you're fallible, admitting you, you might have a tendency towards making a mistake here or there. Uh, is it a weakness? And this is what I thought of with that question. Is it a weakness to wear a helmet when you ride a bike? It's oh. cool. I don't know if it's cool. <laughs> Being uh, safe is cool. But I ride a bike a lot, and my dad rides a bike a lot, and I remember my dad saying... Recently, when we were talking about it, somebody was asking him, like, hey, Rick, should I wear my helmet when I'm riding my bike? I'm only going a couple miles. And he's like, well, how important is your head? <laughs> how valuable is your brain to you? And he kind of said it kind of jokingly, but it's a really good question. Well, if it's very valuable, I'm going to put a helmet on, even if I'm going to Fred Meyer one mile away. And so by putting guardrails in, in, in your life, accountability or Maybe you, I know people that put software on their computers and on their phones and things like that, or you, you put up certain acts, and if, if I'm not going to re-preach that message, uh, but you put safety and guardrails and, and protections around you to make good decisions, I don't think that's a sign of weakness because you're saying what's really valuable to me is doing what our memory verse said, which is to honor my God with my body. If that is valuable to you, you'll do anything you can to make sure you can do that. You know your weaknesses. You know your susceptibilities. Yeah, I, don't, I think it's a matter of courage, actually, more than weakness, because it takes so much thinking self-control to turn from one thing you want so desperately. Um, in, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it talks about how God will enable a way for you to escape that you can endure it. And so you have this moment of decision, and it really is wisdom battling flesh. It's saying, God, I know what's right, but this is what I want. And so I would say it's n there's no form of weakness in, in essence, fleeing from something like that that you know could hurt you, could hurt others, um, and even distance yourself from God. Because as we sin, we feel shame. That shame 
we create this distance with God through that feeling. Yeah. Right, we got two more questions here. Um, next one, will gay people be in heaven? Well, being that I've never been there, uh, I can't give you an informed decision on that. No. Um, I think this is a real question that people wonder, right? Uh, but I'll tell you what, I, I, I jokingly said it, but I've never been to heaven. Um, I haven't looked around and seen who's there. But I know in, in my understanding of Scripture, I am also not the judge of who gets in. And in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about eternity, and people are like, hey, I want to get into heaven. And, and, and he, he says, there will be people who say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We did the miraculous. And Jesus responds, I didn't know you. And that is a gut punch of a verse. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you read that in Matthew 7. I didn't know you but I did all of these amazing things. And you read that, and I think what it, it, it reveals is there, when we get to eternity, there are going to be people missing that we expected to see. I think that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. There's people that you would expect to see in heaven because of what they did and the appearance and the facade and the, and the presentation that they had of their faith. And yet, on the flip side of that, I believe that there may be people in eternity that we didn't expect to see because we don't know the vastness of God's grace. Mm -hmm. And I wrestle with this question because I, I, I've thought about that too. Are gay people going to be in heaven? Are murderers going to be in heaven? Are thieves going to be in heaven? Am I going to be in heaven? <laughs> right? We all, we all wonder that. And, and I think a part of this question that we need to consider is we're trying to find a sense of control or something we can grab onto and say, like, I can control the outcome of heaven, right? For some of us, we ask that question to say, am I going to get into heaven? Is a gay person going to get into heaven? Is a thief going to get into heaven? Because we're looking for that checklist of saying, okay, as long as I avoid these things, I'm good. I'm getting in. This heavenly checklist and there's a part of us that asks that question to make sure, like, am I good enough to get into heaven? Well, no, you're not. None of us are. We are saved by grace, not by works. And I don't know the extent of God's grace in that. And yet people will read that Corinthians passage, and I'm going to get a little preachy, I'm sorry. But people will read that Corinthians passage that we preached on last week and say, well, but it says if you are homosexual, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It also says that if you're a thief or greedy or this, that, and the other, there's a whole bunch of sins that are listed there. If I cheat on my wife, it says I'm not getting into heaven. And I think what we're trying to do is control the outcome of who's going to be in eternity and who's not, and we want to make sure that we're good enough to get in. Okay, I'll just avoid these seven sins, and then I'll indulge in these ones because Paul never listed them. I guess these ones are okay. But I think that there's also a part of us that wants to become like the heavenly gatekeepers where the guys with the velvet rope and the clipboard at the nightclub, right? Like, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. And we look around the room and we say like, yep, you're good. Nope, you're not. We look at our culture. We want to do the same thing. And we want to scare people in. Hey, you need to repent or you're going to get into hell. How many of you were won over by that approach? 
Everyone watching at home, no hands went out. There's a sense of control. Like, I want to control somebody else's behavior by scaring the hell out of them and the heaven into them. If you don't repent, son, you're not going to get into hell or get into heaven. (laughs) You're not going to get into heaven. Brother, if you don't change, you're going to go to hell. We ask this question because we want a firm answer in this, and yet Jesus is the one that is the judge. He's going to sift the goats from the sheep. Not me, not you. I don't know the extent of God's grace. And I'm also, so I, I, are gay people going to be in heaven? I don't know. And some of you are like, that's not a good enough answer. I don't like that answer. But I will tell you this. When I read Matthew 18 and I look at Jesus talking about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, this is where I get humbled. The Pharisee goes into the temple and he beats his chest and says, man, God, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and at least I'm not like that guy over there. I'm not as messed up and broken as that guy. Thank you for sparing me that brokenness. Meanwhile, over here, you have the tax collector who's on his knees beating his chest saying, God, I am not good enough and I desperately need you. Jesus is affirming the humility of the tax collector. That the tax collector is the one that gets the kingdom of heaven. Meanwhile, the religious guy beating his chest saying, look at me, I'm amazing. I get the I get the understanding that he might be missing out. And I think we as Christians need to take a look at our hearts and answer that question for ourselves and say, may we never come before an issue or a topic or people and say, well, at least I'm not like them. I don't, I don't think that's the heart of God. I, if you think you're better than somebody who struggles with homosexuality or somebody who identifies as a gay, bisexual, trans, lesbian, LGBTQ+, I'll just say that. If you would ever look and say, well, at least I'm not like that, I think we miss the heart of God. God's heart is for us to be humble and caring and compassionate and gracious. And that has been, I'll just put a bow on this, that has been the heart of this series. That we would not ever look at a person and say, at least I'm not like that. I want this to be a safe place for people to find Jesus. Not religion, not get out of jail free cards, not checklists. I want people to find Jesus and the grace of God that can transform our lives. I am a broken person. All of us are broken. And we desperately need Christ. And so I, I don't belittle anybody for asking that question. I think it's an honest, earnest question. I think the real question is, am I going to get into heaven? And my heart needs to be 
humbled before the Lord. I want to be the God on his knees saying, God, I can't do this without you. We can't do this without him. And that's who we're going to be. And that's, oh, sorry. That's what we're going to do in this moment. Thank you. Uh, that's what we're going to do in this moment. We're, just, I, we're going to take the next few moments and allow ourselves as a church the time to respond earnestly and honestly before the Lord. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening. 